It is with stories of men, like the story of Ammar ibn Yasir, and the parents of Ammar ibn Yasir, and what will make us understand, subhanAllah, the story of this family. <coughs> a family annihilated, annihilated because of la ilaha illallah. Annihilated because of la ilaha illallah. A son has to see a spear go through the body of his own mother for la ilaha illallah. And then witness his father killed for la ilaha illallah. And he is left to be persecuted, not even given a chance to mourn the death of his parents. He witnessed the death, but was not given a chance to mourn the death of his parents because of la ilaha illallah. And Islam was a handful. And Islam was not old. And the empires were not created. And Fath Makkah was far away. And migration to Medina was far again. And the Muslims were a handful. It wasn't as if we were looking up. It was still a mountain to climb. We're looking extremely high, not just up, extremely high. But here he chooses to hold on to his sadness for witnessing his mother killed, made a shaheed, as well as his father. And he remained upon the message of Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And how difficult was this upon, upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? For he would pass and see this happening to them and he would just tell them, فَصَبْرًا يَا آلِ يَاسِرٍ فَإِنَّ مُعِدُكُمُ الْجَنَّةِ Patience, O family of Yasir, for indeed your end is Jannah. Subhanallah, people who didn't believe in the year after, yesterday, are being persecuted because of the acceptance of the year after, because of the so-called Jannah. La ilaha illallah. It's absolutely amazing. And it's very important that we never read the seerah and data collect. We need to contemplate and ponder and create some tangible emotional buy-in to our own souls. So we really grant some perspective in our lives, right? We need this perspective in our lives. For we, and this is the paradox and this is the irony, we live in this world thinking we're okay, but how do we know we're okay? We think we're fine, but how do we really know we're fine? How do we know we are the people that will die an honorable death? How do we know? So this was the family of Ammar ibn Yasir, O servants of Allah and O children of Adam. They could have renounced Islam, but they kept with the message. And they kept with the yaqeen and the belief and this attachment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And nothing was heard from them except La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah. And then we have other stories of men like Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu anhu. And what will make you understand Mus'ab? Mus'ab who grew up in financial standing and material well-being and was given the luxuries of this world, right? Who can believe that a young person like this would give up these delicacies for prosecution because of la ilaha illallah? But guess what? He did it. And it's because of these people that we're mentioning right now, my dear brothers and sisters, that you and I are Muslim today. But Allah, understand your connection to these people. Understand your connection to Mus'ab ibn Umayr and to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu and Bilal ibn Rabah radiallahu anhu. Understand your connection to the family of Ammar ibn Yasir. It is these people who kept wet La ilaha illallah on their tongues that you and I are Muslims today. They had a huge part to play in Islam and it's coming about in this world. Understand your connection and aspire to be with them in Jannah. Aspire to be with them in Jannah. But understand that it's not about aspiration only. To be with him in Jannah, it requires work. It requires work. Right? So understand, O servants of Allah, we have men in Mus'ab ibn Umayr. And Allah declared for him safety when he managed to escape to Abyssinia in the first migration after he was jailed. He was placed under house arrest by his mother. For la ilaha illallah. He was rid 
of the financial standing and material well-being and the expense of cloth and the expense of gifts for la ilaha illallah. A man who had all the special gifts, but when he passed away, he didn't have enough cloth to cover his body for burial. Subhanallah. Understand what was given up. Understand what was given up. And then we have men in Khabbab ibn al-Arat, burnt with a metal plate because of la ilaha illallah, cauterized by Umm Ammar. But he was given respite for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to love talking to him. And when she did this to him, it affected him. So he made dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teach Umm Ammar the reality of her ways until the time when she was afflicted with a great headache and she would howl as the dogs would howl. And the doctors advised her that the only way to treat this headache was through cauterization as well. And for this to happen, she needed a, a blacksmith, an ironmonger. And this was the speciality of Khabbab. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed now the hot plate in his hand, and he was made to cauterize her, radiallahu anhu. And like the Sahaba, there were many. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, and others, radiallahu anhum, ajma'in. These, my dear brothers and sisters, are giants upon whose shoulders you and I walk today. We don't walk the earth, we walk only on the shoulders of these giants. What we have done is nothing, is nothing in comparison to what they have done. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected this message. And we know this from the dua of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Badr, that Ya Allah, protect Islam by protecting these 300 odd men. In some narrations 300, in some slightly more, in some narrations 313, but protect Islam by protecting these 300 odd men. And the question begs to be asked and needs to be answered. Where are you and I in light of these men? Where are you and I before we face the grave? O servants of Allah and O children of Adam. It was these giants that could stand a thousand men on Badr with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as the leader and come out victorious even though they faced an army that came out for battle and they were a people that did not come out for fight. Men like Dawood alayhi salam. We know how Jalut was dissolved with a small man. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bears testimony to this when He says, كَمْ مِنْ فِيَةٍ قَلِيلَةٍ غَلَبَتْ فِيَةً كَثِيرَةً بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ That how many a small people overcome a great nations and great armies with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What will make you understand what causes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send angels from the skies to earth to protect a people? What will make you understand this? These were not any people or servants of Allah. So Allah has chosen them and Allah has chosen us. And the question that begs to be asked is what have we done to do justice of being people who walk on the shoulders of these giants? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding. What was the reason, O servants of Allah, that when Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu anhu, after the battle in Yamama, when he moves on to fulfill the wish of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and take on the Persians, and has an army of 13,000 in Yamama. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anh says that they have been fighting for a long time, so take those who are ready to come, and those who want to come back to Medina, let them go back to Medina. And when Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anh makes the announcement of what Abu Bakr radiallahu anh has said, 11,000 decide to go back, and 2,000 are left with Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anh. And he writes a message to Abu Bakr radiallahu anh in Medina, this is after the death of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He writes a message to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and says, 11,000 have returned, I need reinforcements. And this letter comes to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu when he is in a gathering and he reads the letter of Khalid ibn Walid aloud so that everybody can hear. And he makes the announcement, bring me 
Al-Qa'qa ibn Umar. One man. And the people in this gathering say, he's asking you for reinforcements after 11,000 have come back and you are sending one man, Al-Qa'qa ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhu. These are not fairy tales, uh, ikhwan. These are not fairy tales. These are not fairy tales. This is what should keep us awake at night. And keep us away from food in the day. And make us be worthy nurturers of our children. And make us understand that the grave is to borrow. What would make Abu Bakr call for Al-Qa'qa? One man, when 11,000 have returned. It can only be because of his iman. Abu Bakr knows I'm sending one man. Abu Bakr says, Abu Bakr tells his people, this one man is many. And this one man is enough. Why? Because they knew the value of iman. And they understood the worthlessness of kufr. And he knew I'm sending one man of belief to stand in front of Persians who are people of kufr. He is more expensive and more valuable than whatever they can bring in front of him. This is the value of his iman, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired Abu Bakr to understand. And fi'lan, fi'lan, when the battle started, these Persians, they played trickery. The head of the Persians, he asked Khalid ibn Walid to come down his mount for a one-to-one battle. And he told his army before that this is the plan. I will get him off his mount and then I will challenge him to a fight without weapons. And when we wrestle and I grab him, then five of you will should come and finish him. Treacherous when you don't have iman. And this is what happened. This is what happened. They were both skilled in the sword fight. And when it went to the wrestling, Khalid ibn Walid was strangled and held in an arm lock. And he announced for his people to come. And Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu anh, understood what was happening. And he has al-Qa'qa from behind. He immediately understands what's going on. That there's treachery in play here. He doesn't wait to speak to his army, to those with him, to explain to them what's happening. Immediately he beats his horse and makes it run as fast as he can. And Khalid ibn Walid in wait in the distance between Qa'qa arriving him or the time span between Al-Qa'qa arriving him starts swinging this Persian that has grabbed him round and around and around so nobody could lash out at Khalid because there, were, there was a greater chance that they would hit the leader of the army. And in the process, in the process, Al-Qa'qa arrives and takes out these people who were in the process of being treacherous to the whole battle play and the leader of the Persians is left on the ground. Abu Bakr sent one man. And the actions of this one man, the wisdom that Allah gave him and the insight that he saw and the action that he took, the executive decision that he made was a means of the Muslims winning and the Muslims being successful. These are men, O servants of Allah. These are men. Now I'm sure if I asked you this question and said, in our discussion of all these people and their way before Islam and their way after Islam, and the honor Allah has given them after Islam, what was, what was the main ingredient here that took them from the worst of the worst to the best of the best? What was the ingredient? And it's very clear. It was Islam. And not just any Islam, like we speak about Islam today, but Islam, which is submission to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the moment that you live in. This is what it was. Islam. Every second that you live in, you ask yourself, what I'm going to say is this beloved to Allah. If it is, I will say it. If it isn't, I will refrain. What I'm going to do now, is it beloved to Allah? If it is, I will do it. If it's not, I will refrain. Every decision, how will it affect my relationship with Allah? This job I'm going to take, this school I'm going to apply for, this degree I'm going to apply for, every single decision, how is it going to affect 
my decision with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For every decision of this dunya remains in this dunya. And if it affects your akhirah, then what you will take with you to the akhirah is that effect. Understand this. Understand this. This is, this is clear, this is common sense, and this is the equation. Right? We tell our children, if you study, you'll pass. And if you didn't study, you're not going to pass. It's clear cut. There's no room for discussion here. Right? And this is how it is as well. Every decision you make for the betterment of your dunya, that's at the expense of the akhirah, understand the betterment is temporary. The betterment is temporary. And the affected, the affected is what's going to come with you. So make sure you make decisions that affect matters in a good way. It was Islam, my dear brothers and sisters, that took these people from the wretched to the wretched to the best of the best. And not just any Islam, but Istislam. Istislam. Where we submit our whims and our fancies and our aspirations for the sake of Allah and to the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what made those before us giants upon whose shoulders we walk today. And if you want to be a giant that people will walk on your shoulders tomorrow and you leave that legacy of being dutiful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a true follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the legacy of drinking from his hand on the day of Qiyamah, and the legacy of being admitted into Jannah with him because you truly loved him in speech and action, then you need to start doing the actions that quantify the coming of this legacy. It has to happen. Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu, he said a statement that we should write in gold. In gold. And he said many statements that deserve to be written in gold. He said, Kunna We were wretched. Nobody wanted to know us. We weren't worthy of being known. نحن قوم أعزنا الله بالإسلام. We are a قوم, a people that Allah has given us honor through Islam. Through Islam. This is what he says. And then he says that فَمَهْمَا إِبْتَغَيْنَ الْعِزَّةَ فِي غَيْرِهِ أَذَلَّنَ اللَّهِ That the person who seeks success and seeks honor in any other way other than the way of Islam then not only will he be disgraced, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will disgrace him. Allah will disgrace you. Imagine Allah disgracing a person. Never mind being disgraced because of the people. Wallahi, we should worry. We should worry because we, we live a difficult life. Every waking day is a day trying to be honored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every waking day. This life is not Jannah. Jannah is a place to come. No, is it Jahannam. That is a place, inshallah, Allah will protect us from. This is the dunya. This dunya needs work, it needs effort. Allah never said you cruising to Him. Right? In the language of, of our youth, the colloquial language, He didn't say we cruising to Allah. He said, you are on a tiresome journey to Allah. إِنَّكَ كَادِحٌ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ كَدْحًا فَمُلَاقِ You plowing in the hot sun. Your journey to me is like the farmer who toils. This is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. Your journey entails that you remember death with the waking of every day. And if you're not, you're cruising, you're not toiling. And if you're cruising and not toying, there's something, something wrong. Something wrong. Umar tells us, O servants of Allah, that success is not in our jobs, nor in our abilities, nor in our spouses, nor in our children, nor in our parents, nor in our tribes and lineage, and not even in our wealth, and not even in our education. And subhanAllah, shaitan has spun us that even our speeches have become void of the speech of those before us. Everything we attribute to ourselves. I place food on my table. I earned, I made the deal. I'm paying the school fees. And so on and so forth. This is not a speech of a heart attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not the speech of the giants that walked the earth before us. They were people who attributed success to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And when there was lack of success, they were revising themselves. These were people who lived their lives preventing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making them from the disgrace. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So it's all about going to the basics. It does, this is what it is. It's all about going to the basics before the grave. Islam, and there's so many basics or elements that we can discuss, but I won't take much of your time, I'll just discuss a few. My dear brothers and sisters, you've heard this many times, but we need to be reminded. And that's why we read the Quran time and time again. We don't say it's a book which we've read. We need to be reminded. The greatest basic that you can bring into your life is Tawheed. And I'm not talking about any Tawheed, where you know the categories of Tawheed and the conditions of Tawheed. You know it. You can say it verbatim. You can teach it to your kids. And some of us might not even be able to teach it to our kids. May Allah forgive us and protect us. But I'm not talking about data collection. I'm talking about real Tawheed. And what it entails in, in terms of sincerity. In terms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهِ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفَاءِ That they were not commanded except to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with sincerity. And the statement of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Sahih, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ There's nothing about your actions except the intentions that you have when you do them. وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئِمْ مَا نَوَى And for everybody is that which they intended. فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ And those who make hijrah for the sake of Allah and His Rasul, then they've made hijrah for Allah and His Rasul. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ And for those who made hijrah for a matter of this dunya, then the hijrah was for that which they intended. Right? They could have gone with the Muslims to Medina, but if the intention was not the preservation of Islam, it is for another matter, then they failed to gain the rewards of the hijrah. This is not just any hadith, this is powerful. This is powerful. Right? And we need to work on this. I don't fear for us prostrating to idols. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. I think, alhamdulillah has given us that guidance where we won't and we will not tolerate our children doing it. But there's many elements to shirk. There's elements, there's hidden elements. How, who are we raising our children for? Have we asked ourselves this? Is it for our own appearance in society? That we've done this massive job raising our children? That people look at our children and say, those are the parents. Or have we raised them just so that they be upright? So that they can make it for themselves? I'm not saying these are matters we shouldn't think about. But I'm saying these are secondary matters. Are we living in the secondary or have we encompassed the primary? Who are we raising our children for? Why are we even here right now? When you came to this get-together, why did you come? What was the intention? I'm talking about keeping it real, coming back to the basics, right? These are matters that even practicing Muslims forget. And shaitan is an open enemy. He's going to spin us. Why did you come? Was it to see one another? Was it to learn? And you've heard me say this in many talks. Seeing, learning, the brotherhood, so on and so forth. This is good. But this is secondary. Are we living in the secondary or have we recognized the primary? That we're here to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We didn't leave our home for anything else but the worship. It's the worship that drives us. It's the worship of Allah that wakes us up every morning. And it's the worship of Allah that makes us sleep every night so we can wake up fresh to worship Him again. Irrespective of how we worship, whether it's through fasting, Quran, Salah, even our work, even raising our children, even the schools that we choose. What was your intention behind the school you chose for your child when you placed him in that school? Was it education? That is definitely something that should be part of our thought process. But that secondary was the primary in play. So that your decision came something that shook your scales of good deeds on the day of Qiyamah. And your decision became something that Jannah felt your footprints because of that decision. 
This is what I'm talking about when I say Tawheed. Back to the basics. Do you want to die a person who lived in the secondary or in the primary? For Wallahi, those men we spoke about were people who lived in the primary. Everything they did was for the sake of Allah. Everything. Even Bilal, radiallahu anhu, when Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away and he was sad and couldn't observe the adhan in Medina, he told Abu Bakr that let me go and do that which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam praised. And Abu Bakr said, but we love for you to stay in Medina. And what did he say? If you freed me for yourself, then keep me here. But if you freed me for Allah, subhanallah, then send me. This was the thought process. It wasn't about my gain, your gain, our gain for the dunya. It was about our gain together for the akhirah. And this is, these are the people we have to become. So do we do things for the sake of Allah? Alhamdulillah in Riyadh now, the groups coming together, there's activities. Why are we doing it? Is it because our children need this? Yes, they do. That's secondary. Or is it because we need to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this way? Because we're responsible over our children. Is it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, who's the point of our focus behind every breath that we take or is it something else? And, and this is a fundamental point. We might think of this as trivial, but by Allah it's not. Don't forget the man who comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Qiyamah in a hadith which is sahih and he says, I served the book of Allah and I served Islam and such and such only to be told that kathab you have lied. Only to be told you have lied. Wallahi, this only to be told you have lied. You did it so you could teach the people. You did it so the people could say you were a scholar or you were good with the Quran. Huh? And this is why I ask myself sometimes we get into gatherings and a parent will make his child, force his child to read Quran in the gathering. This is not good tarbiyah. This is not good tarbiyah of your child. So that people can say, mashallah, mashallah, mashallah. It's not good tarbiyah. You have flawed the process of tawheed that read for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So back to the basics. We don't fear prostrating to idols, but really are we good with our tawheed? This needs a lot of discussion, but we don't have time. The other basic that can help us find our feet in our wobbly stances is understanding the hereafter. Because Islam, when it came, it came to penetrate the shackles of shirk and disbelief in the hereafter. And I don't mean understanding the hereafter when you say, آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُلِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ What are the pillars of faith? We all say the pillars of faith. I'm talking about understanding the year after, dear parents and brothers and sisters. When we talk about understanding the year after, it entails everything from the time you die. Belief in that. In the fact that if you are a good person, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send angels from Jannah. And your soul will be taken out in the pleasant of ways and a scent will be caused to emanate from your soul. And the angels will fill up the atmosphere between the heavens and the, and the earth and wish that your soul pass through them and that your soul will get to the heavens and permission will be sought for it to enter. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it this permission. And then your body will be buried and the soul will be given permission to go back to the body to answer the questions of the grave. And what will make you understand about the questions of the grave? And this is belief in the hereafter. Subhanallah, three questions that we know, but we can't guarantee answering. Imagine if I told you, here's the exam paper, and the exam is in a week. Can you fail that exam? These are three questions which we know, but we cannot guarantee answering. La ilaha illallah. The only one who answers it is the one who walked the talk, and walked the walk. He didn't learn the sunnah. It became part of him. It, he digested it. It was part and parcel of him, of his soul, and his body, of his nafs. Right? So this belief that the soul will come to this body 
and he will be asked these questions and Allah will permit, it's Allah's permission that he answers the questions the right way and that a window to Jahannam will be opened and he will see Jahannam and these angels will tell him what he was saved from because of what he did in the dunya, because of his tawheed and because of his understanding of the hereafter and his remembrance of death which kept him away from the pleasures of this world. He gets told that Allah saved you from that. And then a window of Jannah is open and he will see what awaits him and believe that he will raise his hands and say, Ya Allah, aqim is-sa'ah, aqim is-sa'ah. Oh Allah, make the coming of the hour come, make the coming of the hour come. This is belief in the hereafter. And to believe that the bad person who dies will die a wretched death with the angel of death in his fiery nature coming to him and ripping his soul from his body like as described in the sunnah, wet cotton wool through steel. When it runs through raw steel, it gets caught. Its material gets caught onto the steel and it's caused to rip and tear and fall apart. And this is what happens and we need to believe that this is the death and this is the end of the one who thought he survived and he passed. But in reality he didn't. He did good in this dunya, but Allah rewarded him for the good in this dunya. وَقَدِمْنَا إِلَى مَا عَمِلُوا مِنْ عَمَلٍ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ هَبَاءً مَنْثُورًا He, Allah, brought forward His recompense and His rewards. And when, when He met Allah, He only had dust. The death of this person, where when his soul is taken out, a stench is smelt and no angel wants it to pass. And it's taken to the heavens and it's denied entry and it's sent back to the grave and it's declared that it will fail. The questions of the grave. And then a window to Jannah is opened and it's shown what it missed when it's, and it's too late now. La ilaha illallah. And then it's shown Jahannam and this person understands his end or her end. May Allah save us all. And then he makes a dua to Allah. La ya Allah, don't let the coming of the hour happen. Don't let the coming of the hour happen. This is what belief in the unseen entails, my dear brothers and sisters. Not data collection. Tangible belief. Tangible belief. Right? The Prophet ﷺ said it's attributed as a hadith, although it's questionable. There is weakness in the Sanad. But the meaning is correct. Increase the remembrance of that which kills all desires. What is that? Death. And it's because we forget death that we become arrogant. May Allah protect us from arrogance. Ameen. It is understanding the hereafter that doesn't make us love the dunya and doesn't make us hate death. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should ask for death. But I'm saying we should not fear it. Do you understand? Don't ask for it, but don't fear it. Make dua that, Ya Allah, grant me death if it's good for me, and grant me life if it's good for me. For I'm here for the benefit of the hereafter. I don't want to live at the expense of, of the hereafter. If my work is free from ikhlas, take me to Ya Allah. Shaykh Salah al-Budair was asked the question, that how do you manage to hold your ikhlas and Allah has stationed you in Masjid al-Nabawi? And with tears he said, there's not a waking day except that I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take me away if I was to stand there for any other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This is not asking for death, but this is not fearing it. This is thinking about death in the right concept. And we need to get this basic in our life. The problem with us is we think every day we wake up, we were supposed to wake up. We think... Waking up is the asan. It's supposed to happen. And death is the exception. Yes, in fiqh, that's a different story. In fiqh, we say as long as you're alive, we consider you alive unless we know you're dead. The asan is that you're alive. But in terms of our application, we need to consider death, right? 
Something which can happen anytime. And life is the exception. Because after life, what are you waiting for? Death. And nobody knows when death is going to come knocking. Every day you wake up, thank Allah. That's why you say, Alhamdulillah, ahyana. Praise be to Allah who gave us life. It's an exception to the rule of servant of Allah. Don't think you are supposed to wake up. Every night before you sleep, don't think you will wake up. Waking up is an exception, so you thank Allah for this life. Subhanallah, we wake up every day and don't even thank Allah. We think it's, it's, it's normal. Wallahi, it's a gift. It's a chance for you to build your Jannah greater and free you, take yourself further from the hellfire and please Allah better and build your legacy and do justice to the, the shoulders of those giants that we stand on. Life is, is an exception to the rule. Every breath you breathe now is an exception. For I could die in my next breath and you could die in your next breath and I could read salah over you and you could read salah over me and this is a fact. And we've seen it with people around us. Death is not the exception, it's the asal. Life is the exception. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. I mean, there's other things, I'm not going to go into detail regarding them because we've taken much time. The most important that I wanted to share with you that I had a lot of notes on was sin. Because sin is a means of our destruction. Sin is a means of our destruction. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam observed istighfar 70 times a day in another narration 100 times a day when he was free from sin. So what about you and me? And we know from the sunnah that there's no difficulty that you and I face. And we start istighfar except Allah lifts that difficulty. So increase in istighfar. Don't take yourself for granted. When you are with your children and you want to teach them something, practice istighfar. Because istighfar removes those barriers that blocks you from true success. Our potential is blocked by our sins. And we all have sins. Right? So we might think, 90% 90% is good. Yes, it's good. But by Allah, you could do 100 if you sought forgiveness for those sins that cause you to lose 10. You have to understand this. And teach istighfar to your children. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, in many places in his book regarding these sins and that these sins are a cause. What affects us is because of our sins. And the other point I wanted to share with you, we're not going to go into it into detail, but it's important regarding sins, is don't think that when you sin, the harm is for you yourself. There's another misconception. Al-Darar al-Khasir. Right? Our ulama say there's al-Nafa' al-Muta'addi wa al-Nafa' al-Qasir. And there's al-Darar al-Muta'addi wa al-Darar al-Qasir. There's certain benefits that you do that are specific to yourself. And there's certain, if you fast, that's specific for you. But if you give sadaqah, that's, that's shared benefit. You've benefited and the person, someone else has benefited. Right? And sin is the same. Sin is not something that entails specific harm. Understand that when you sin, you have pulled this ummah back from achieving its potential. Understand this. Don't think that me in my seclusion and I'm sinning is between me and Allah. Yes, it's between you and Allah in terms of judgment. But understand that the harm of your action in seclusion has affected the ummah as a whole. And who wants to be that person who's harming the ummah as a whole? Every time you sin, you've held the ummah back from achieving its potential. And remember at the beginning, I said, and if I didn't say it, I'll say it now. That don't be disheartened, for success is coming to this ummah. Yes, we sing what we sing, but success is coming. This is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the question you and I have to ask is, upon whose hands? Our hands? Our children's hands? Our grandchildren's hands? Or are we going to be people that came and breathed Allah's airs when we didn't deserve to, and walked Allah's land when we didn't deserve to, and we just space on this earth, and we came and we left without leaving any legacy, no matter how small it is, we left nothing for to work for us after we've passed away. 
right? So understand that sins, it's like the case, you know the story of the person who said there's a big jar in the middle of the, of the town and everybody tonight has to throw one cup of milk in, into this jar. Why? Because there's a shortage of milk. But one person decided that I will throw one cup of water and nobody will know. Tomorrow morning, one cup of water in a hundred cups of milk, nobody will know that water was thrown. But when they woke up the next day and looked into the jar, it was full of water. Why? Because everybody thought that way. Right? You've got to understand this. That the harm spreads out. If you are sinning and someone else is sinning and someone else is sinning, it's, it spread. It spread the entire ummah. Those who you know and those who you don't know. Those who are still to come, you've affected them. And how evil is that? Wallahi, who can sin when... We don't like to harm anybody, right? Nobody would harm. I wouldn't come to your home and harm you and your family. But by Allah, I can do so by sinning by myself. And not seeking forgiveness for the sins after I've made a mistake. So understand this. Don't let this understanding leave you. Right? Give to the ummah, even if it's in the form of leaving your sins. And of course, we have to, to attain the ranks of those before us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَا تَهِنُوا وَلَا تَحْزَنُوا وَأَنْتُمُ الْأَعْلَوْنَ He says in the Quran, don't be sad and don't be despondent. You will be given the higher ranks. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in a hadith which is Hassan, reported by Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu and mentioned in Ad-Dar Qutni and other books of hadith, Al-Islam will rise and not be risen upon. So what you're seeing is temporary. What you're seeing is temporary, right? And so don't be despondent, but be people of action. Nothing said here was to make us sad, but I hope everything said was, was a means of giving us perspective. And by Allah, this sitting will be a waste of time if we went home today and got into our beds and went to sleep and said it was a nice talk or it was a long talk or it was a short talk and that was it. It will be a waste. It will be a waste. What we need to do is leave here now and go back home and get our, our phones out and open up the note and start writing in there. Start writing in there. What sins do I have that I need to rid myself of? And how can I start putting in the process of ridding myself from these sins? Even if it entails you leaving, using one month of your life to rid yourself of one sin, but you started the journey, this is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And ask yourself, where am I with regards to my tawheed and my intentions? And ask yourself, how many goods can I bring into my day? My day has maintenance time, and it has effective time, right? And that's a, that's a discussion for time management. But how much maintenance time do I need to cut down and make and throw into the effective time spot and what other extra worship can I do to prepare for myself that legacy and prepare for myself that death that when I die this amazing scent comes out of my body and angels are dying for my body are wishing greatly for my body for my scent and soul to pass through them because it's a soul that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant that us that death then when we pass away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutma'inna, O content uh, nafs, irji'i ila rabbik, return to your Rabb, radiyatan mardiyya, whilst Allah is happy with you, and you are pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fadkhuli fi ibadi, enter upon my ibad, my slaves, wadkhuli jannati, and enter my paradise. So this is what I've shared with you, my dear brothers and sisters. I leave you with the ayah in the Qur'an. To give you hope, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كَمَا اسْتَخْلَفَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ وَلَا يُمَكِّنَنَّ لَهُمْ دِينَهُمْ الَّذِي ارْتَضَى لَهُمْ وَلَا يُبَدِّلَنَّهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ خَوْفِهِمْ أَمْنَا يَعْبُدُونَنِي لَا يُشْرِكُونَ بِشَيْئًا 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and pay attention to this ayah, I feel Allah is really talking to us in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah has promised those among you, and do righteous good deeds, righteous good deeds, that He will certainly grant them succession in the land, as He granted it to those before them, the authority to practice their religion, which He has chosen for them, and He will surely give them in exchange, a safe security after their fear, they worship me, and they do not associate anything in worship with me. That is the ayah that I leave you with. And I leave you with the statement of Ali radiallahu anhu. Ali radiallahu anhu said an amazing statement to motivate us to look after the rights of Allah and to look after the rights of the ibad. He said radiallahu fitnatain. that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has hidden two matters in two matters. There's two matters that have been hidden in two things. The first thing that Allah has hidden is knowledge of His happiness when you worship Him, when you do an act. The knowledge of Him being happy over you is hidden. And that's true. So we never let our goodness make us arrogant. We make our goodness make us humble. And after we worship, we seek forgiveness. Like how Rasulullah told Aisha radiallahu anha, when she asked, if I witness the night of power, what should I say? He said, say, Allahumma innaka afuwun tuhibbul afwa fa'afu anna. Oh Allah, you love to forgive, forgive us. Amazing. He's telling her to ask for forgiveness on the night of power when she spent the month fasting and the night in worship and she's witnessed the night. What should she say? He tells her to ask for forgiveness. Because worship entails us becoming more humble. We don't know if Allah is happy with us so we seek forgiveness in case there were any mistakes. We don't become lax and we don't become too confident. That's one aspect. And then he says, and Allah has hidden the knowledge of His awliya from amongst you. He's hidden the knowledge of His awliya from amongst you. The knowledge of his awliya is hidden from amongst us. So strive with the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. For one day you might do good to one of the awliya of Allah and you don't know. And they make dua for you. And that dua is a means of opening for you both in this world and thereafter. Hada wallahu a'lam. I love you all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I thank you for your good attentiveness and attendance. And apologize for the long time taken. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive any mistakes. For everything correct is from him and any mistakes are from myself and shaitan. And I say subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanakallahum wa bihamdi, kanashadu wa la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk, wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.